Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. Today I'm reading from a book entitled simply Proverbs, not the Proverbs of your Bible, although based on that book. It's a commentary put together by Charles Bridges. Charles Bridges was well known as a prominent leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England. He died in 1869. We're going to read the preface to his book today, just the preface. Charles Bridges writes, Proverbial teaching is one of the most ancient methods of instruction. It was well suited to the time when books were scarce and philosophy was little understood. The mind, not used to the slow process of reasoning, was more easily engaged by terse sentences that expressed a striking thought in a few words. The wise man himself has given the best definition of these aphoristic maxims. He describes them as apples of gold in settings of silver. That's Proverbs 25.11. The book of Proverbs is a mine of divine wisdom. The descriptions of God are holy and reverential. Human nature is observed accurately and in great detail. It commends a way of life that equips people to live a life of good deeds. As Thomas Scott, who was a convert of John Newton, has well remarked, we will understand the meaning and usefulness of the book of Proverbs in proportion to our experience of true religion, our acquaintance with our own hearts and with human nature and the extent and accuracy of our observation of the character and deeds of men. Eusebius states that in the book of Proverbs is found wisdom fraught with every kind of virtue. I have divided the book of Proverbs into three sections. The first part, 1 through 9, uh, it's as Dr. Good observes, chiefly confined to the conduct of early life. Wisdom is likened to a tree of life, yielding refreshing shade and delicious fruit. The second part, from 10 to 24, the style and content of part two, content, is quite different from that of part one. It's clearly meant for those who are now mature in years. These proverbs enforce a moral principle, in a few words, that can be easily learned and so remembered. They use a variety of style, sometimes straightforward, sometimes lofty, sometimes enigmatic. The third part is the rest of the book, 25 to 31. Chapters 25 to 29 were written by Solomon and edited some centuries later by the royal scribes in the reign of Hezekiah. The last two chapters were written by different people and preserved by divine care and are most worthy of being part of the inspired canon of Scripture. The date of the writing of this book is uncertain. We cannot doubt that part of it is from the 3,000 Proverbs of Solomon mentioned in 1 Kings 4.32, before his most lamentable fall. Christian ministers should note that Solomon, no less than St. Paul, teaches us that preaching to others will not save our own souls. The books should be interpreted with great care, as the principles set out in the Old Testament and the New Testament are essentially the same. It seems reasonable to expound the more obscure by the more clear. 
The primary duty of the expositor is to attach to each proverb its own literal and precise meaning. This is undoubtedly its spiritual meaning, that is, the mind of the spirit. <clears throat> Judgment, and not imagination, must then be used to interpret the proverb. Where just the literal meaning is meant, it is not right to search out some new spiritual meaning, but rather to draw practical instruction from its obvious sense. There is, however, a distinction to be made between exposition and illustration. The figures of speech used in the book of Proverbs, after their literal meaning has been stated, may fairly be used to illustrate other truths that are not specifically mentioned. The sacred writers appear to endorse this, although it requires careful thought so that it does not twist the meaning of Scripture or identify us with those people whom Dr. South says can draw anything out of anything. Even with taking great care to give a sound interpretation, we must not forget that the book of Proverbs is part of the book that is entitled The Word of Christ, Colossians 3.16. This title is such an accurate description of the book of Proverbs that its study brings the whole subject of the book before us. It encourages us to search the Old Testament, which is the key to open the divine treasure house. As Mr. Cecil has observed, if we do not see the golden thread through all the Bible marking out Christ, we read the scripture without the key. As Augustine said, the Old Testament has no true relish if Christ is not understood in it. These remarks, however, do not undervalue its large amount of historical and practical instruction, but unquestionably, Christ is the Son of the whole Scripture, S-U-N, and in His light we see light. This light gives life throughout the Christian's experience. There is, therefore, as Professor Frank reminds us, much joy, comfort, and delight to be found in the Old Testament, especially in reading those places that before were wearisome and almost irksome, when we perceive Christ is so sweetly pictured there. It has been recorded of Mary Jane Graham that she was delighted in the course of her study of the book of Proverbs to have Christ so much and so frequently before her mind. We cannot be fear, however, that this part of the sacred book is not generally appreciated as it should be. The question has often been asked, how can I read the book profitably? It might seem that the instruction given in chapters 2, verses 1 to 4, was intended to answer such a question. The first thing to do, which should be done as any page or verse of the Bible is read, is to pray. Begin with prayer. Then link an inquiring mind to a praying heart. Actively seek and search for hidden treasure. The riches do not lie on the surface. You need to search the scripture. But how are we to apply the heart so that we understand the book of Proverbs? We should use whatever study helps we may have at hand. And then when we discover God's word to be our treasure, we are to eat this invigorating food so that it becomes the joy of our hearts. 
and accurate apprehension of the main purpose and scope of this book will greatly facilitate its understanding. The purpose of the book of Proverbs appears to be to give teaching about practical life. The true man of God will honor practical inculcation no less than doctrinal teaching. The truth that is in Jesus, in which we are taught by him, is practical truth. While other parts of Scripture show us the glory of our high calling, the book of Proverbs instructs us in detail how we should walk so that we are worthy of this calling. We look into the book of Proverbs as if we were using a microscope and view all the minute details of our Christian walk. There is not a mood, a look, a word, a movement, the tiniest duty in which we do not either deface or adorn the image of our Lord and witness to him. Even if the book served no other purpose, it will humble even the most consistent servant of God, making him aware of countless failures. Not only is the last chapter, as Matthew Henry says, a looking glass for ladies, but the whole book is a mirror for us all. It is not just a mirror that reveals our defects. It's also a, a guidebook for godly living. The details about how to behave in many diverse spheres are given or implied most accurately and with a profound knowledge of the human heart. As Lord Bacon has commented, beside a code of laws directly religious, a variety of admirable rules streams forth from the deep recesses of wisdom and spreads over the whole field. All types and classes of people are spoken to here. The monarch is given divine wisdom. The principles of national prosperity and decay are set out. The rich are warned about their besetting temptations. The poor are comforted in their worldly humiliation. Wise rules are given about self-discipline. All this varied instruction is based on the principles of true godliness. And so, if the Psalms bring a glow to the heart, the book of Proverbs makes the face shine. This book should be considered as a valuable rule of faith. As Mr. Scott observes, it would be very useful for those who can command their time at, at some stated season every day to read and deliberately consider a few of those maxims with reference to their own conduct in the various affairs in which they are concerned. Without doubt, if the world was governed by all of the wisdom of this one book, it would be a new earth in which righteousness lives. The distinctive characteristic of the book of Proverbs is that it is a book for the young. The answer to the question, how can a young man keep his way pure, is fully answered in the book of Proverbs by living according to your word. The book of Proverbs specifically states that it was written so that young people would learn from it. It takes them, as it were, by the hand and warns them of impending dangers and imminent temptations and points them to God's ways through the most engaging motives. It was never more relevant than it is today. Our young people are growing up during a time when the foundations of the earth are being shaken and when their hearts are being poisoned and perverted. Nothing is more important than to provide them with sound principles. 
What this priceless book impresses on their minds is the importance of basic principles in the heart, the value of self-discipline, the habit of bringing everything under the word of God. It also teaches its readers to compare worldly and heavenly advice and to opt for the everlasting good in preference to the toys of earth. This practical godliness sheds a smile over a world of sorrow, is comforting sunlight in suffering, and always points to the principles of peace and perseverance. I conclude with the words of Geyer, one of the most helpful expositors. He says, If there should be anything here to please the reader, ascribe not the writing to the pen, but to the writer, not the light to the lamp, but to the fountain containing the oil, not the picture to the pencil, but to the painter, not the gift to the unfaithful dispenser, but to God, the bountiful giver. That's from Charles Bridges. He wrote that in October 7, 1846, as he introduces his book. Next time that we do Mr. Bridges, we will start with chapter one of Proverbs. Thank you so much for listening. Do look around my site. We've got over 3,000 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. And if you like more fellowship, please consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contacting me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men, our Tuesday noon meeting for men and women. I do hope that you can come. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on January the 3rd, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.